Okay, this is the first Sunday of the month of April. I don't know where this year's going. They say the older you get, the faster it goes. I'm starting to believe them. But um, the month of April is here. And so again, I try to do a sermon series for each month of the year. And so I just decided to call this one Encouraging the Saints. And so we're going to talk about baby and toddlers today. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about Resurrection Sunday, and then the following rest of the month, we'll talk uh, about children and about adults, and finally about uh, the older adults and how uh, we are still all valuable uh, to the kingdom. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 18 this morning. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18, specifically talking about young children this morning, babies and toddlers and uh, thank God we're starting to have some of those um, back here now. We got Logan and we got Noah and we got uh, Braxton and Jariah and Lily. So hopefully we can keep that uh, going uh, because the church needs those young people, don't they? So we're going to talk about babies and about toddlers this morning. And so Matthew chapter 18, I would just like to read the first um, six verses of this chapter this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as the little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of those little children who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned into the depths of the sea. The disciples asked Jesus a question. Jesus, which person is the greatest in the kingdom? And I'm sure the person that was asking that question probably thought, I know Jesus is going to mention my name. Jesus is going to say John's the greatest. So whoever was asking the question, I'm sure that was their intent. Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus did not pick out one of the apostles. He picked out a small child. And he said to, to bring them here, and he sat that child in the middle of those adults and said, listen, what you need to do is be more like a child. Now, we tell the kids just the opposite, don't we? When are you ever going to grow up? Here you are, 13 years old, and you act like you're three. When are you going to grow up? But Jesus tells us adults, Listen, adult, you're 35 years old, and what you need to do is start acting like a three-year-old. That doesn't sound right, does it? But that's exactly what Jesus told us to do. We need to become more like little children. But he says there in verse number three, there's a key word. He says you are to be converted and then become like little children. And so that is where it really needs to start. In verse number four, there's another word that really sticks out to me. Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom. We have to be ones of humility, don't we? We have to look at others higher than ourselves. We can't look at ourselves with a prideful attitude. 
And in verse number 6, Jesus even tells us, if anyone offends these little children, it would be better if that person were to die. And as you think about the world that we live in today, when you think about people who have uh, committed uh, sins against children, you don't think too highly of that, do we? And we shouldn't, because that is the lowest of low, that, that poor innocent child and the things that they've had to go through, they should have never had to gone through that. And so Jesus was showing us and showing his uh, apostles that if we want to be great in his kingdom, if we want to be great in his church, we need to first of all humble ourselves, we need to be converted, and then we need to be more like children. And so I sat down this past week and made a list of how we need to be more like kids. And I thought of five or six, and so I wrote those down, and I tried to um, construct my sermon then of how we need to be like children. First of all, children are innocent. Can you think of anything more innocent than a small baby laying there, and they're gooing, and they're God, and they're smiling, and they're laughing, and you can tickle them, and they laugh? Can you think of anything more innocent than a, than a baby or even a toddler? You never hear a toddler say something negative hardly about any other person, do you? They're innocent. They haven't, they haven't figured that out yet. We haven't taught them yet how they should not act. But a child is typically very innocent. And I thought about Adam and Eve. When they were first created in the garden, and however long that they lived there before they sinned, I tend to think it was about 40 days. That's usually a time of trial. But if Adam and Eve lived in that garden for 40 days, they were completely innocent, weren't they? And that's why they could run around the Garden of Eden completely naked, and they weren't even ashamed of that. Children are that way, aren't they? When you get little kids, they're about a year old, they just started to walk, and they're starting to get potty trained. They'll run around naked all day long and not feel one ounce of embarrassment whatsoever. Why? Because they're innocent. And Adam and Eve was that way. They were, they were perfect, they were sinless, they were innocent in the Garden of Eden until finally... Uh, that old devil came in and, and deceived Eve, and she ate of that fruit. And she talked her husband into eating that fruit, and they knew then that they were naked, and they covered themselves up. But innocent. Oh, wouldn't it be nice to be innocent again? I got some videos to show you today. I hope they work. Here is a video of a child that is innocent. The children who are innocent. That's innocence, isn't it? The boy behind him's laughing. He's old enough to know better. But that's a pinata, and typically with a pinata, you just smack the tar out of that thing until it falls to pieces. But here this small child is, goes up there and gives it a hug instead. That's innocence, isn't it? That is something that is completely foreign to that small child to take that bat or whatever it was and smack somebody with it. I can't do that. I want to go give it a hug instead. But you know what? We can have that, in, in that innocence once again. We can become just like children. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 
chapter 6 and verse number 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9, we can enjoy that innocence that, we, that, we, that God wants us to have. He wants us to be like children, and so we can enjoy that, in, that innocence again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse number 9. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So he lists a bunch of sins. We are no longer innocent. But what does it say in verse 11? And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul said, listen, there's a whole bunch of sins here, and some of you are up to your neck in most of these things homosexuality and sodomites and getting drunk every day, cheating on your wife, and, and on and on and on it goes. Paul says some of you were like that. But in verse number 11, he says you were washed, you were sanctified, and then you were justified. Remember that word justified? I mentioned this several times before. The word justified really means it's just if I'd had never sinned. That's exactly what that word means. I looked it up in the Greek. The Greek means to render innocent. The word justified means you have been rendered innocent. And to that I say praise the Lord. Because I know I had sins in my past life before I was a Christian, even after I was a Christian. But I know that I have been washed. I know I have been sanctified. And I know I have been justified because of Jesus Christ. You can be rendered innocent again if you do what Jesus asked you to do. Another thing I thought of about children, not only are they innocent, but children are also very trustworthy, aren't they? They trust their parents. They trust their dad. I can remember doing this with Douglas especially. You know, they get, I don't know, a couple of years old, and you take them, you throw them up in the air, and you see how high you can throw them before you lose them. But they are trusting in you to do that. You throw them up in the air, and they laugh, and they giggle, and you catch them. And they say, again, again, again. So you got to throw them up a little higher next time, and you catch them. And so they trust their parents. They trust their parents not to leave them at Walmart in the shopping cart. Mom and Dad, they hear the, the blue light special just comes on. Remember that back in Kmart? The blue light special comes on, and so everybody takes a running dash back to get that last cooler for $1.95, and you forgot and left Bubby over in the pharmacy. <laughs> oh, my goodness, where is he? Where is he? And so you go back there, and he's just sitting there playing in the cart. He completely trusts in mom and dad. He feels secure in their hands. Remember back a few years ago, the big thing was the trust fall? Remember that? They would do that with um, team-building exercises, you had this team of like five or six people, and you would have a person stand up on a stage, and they would come back like this, and they fall backwards, and your team is supposed to catch you because you trust them. And so we have a video here of a trust fall. And close your eyes and just fall down, okay? 
Okay, then Warren's going to catch you. Okay, it's called the trust fall. Okay, trust fall. Ready, set, go. <laughs> I don't think she quite got the concept of what a trust fall was. But she trusted her, didn't she? She thought that her sister, whoever that was, she thought that she was going to grab her and catch her. She trusted completely in that person who was with her. And that's exactly the way kids are with their parents. And so we need to put our trust in God completely. Trust is the foundation of a good relationship. You know, if you can't trust a person, if you can't trust them because they've been unfaithful to you before, or you can't trust a person because they're constantly lying to you, you are not going to have a good relationship, are you? And we can put our trust completely in God because we can trust what he says. As I mentioned before, there's two times, once in the book of James and once in the book of Hebrews, that the Bible says God cannot tell a lie. And so that's fantastic news, isn't it? When God tells me something in his word, the Bible, I know is completely true because God cannot tell a lie. I can put my trust completely in him. I can build on that foundation because God always speaks the truth. And so in Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3 in verse number 5, <clears throat> we can see that truth or trusting is very important with our relationship with God. Proverbs chapter 3 in verse number 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Solomon, the wisest man to have ever lived, said this, Trust in God with all of your heart. It's pretty good advice, isn't it? God will not leave us. God will not forsake us. God will never let us down. And so you can put your trust fully in him. Go back a book to the book of Psalm. In Psalm chapter 20, there are some things that uh, David tells us we should not put our trust in. Solomon tells us to put our trust in God. Solomon's dad, David, said, don't put your trust in these things. You're going to be disappointed if you do. Psalm chapter 20 and verse number 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and we stand upright. Save, O Lord, may the king answer us when we call. David, some, or David said some people puts their trust in physical things, but we are the ones who are going to be victorious. We are the ones who are standing upright, not them. And so what a great... A lesson for us today, don't put our trust in physical things. Put our trust in God because he is always there and he will never forsake us. Yes, children are innocent. Children are trusting, but children are also very forgiving. And they are, aren't they? Do you ever observe kids out in the playground and maybe uh, accidentally one of the kids was on the swing and and he bumped the other kid off or knocked him to the ground, they will go there and kind of rub each other and uh, 
take all the dirt off and so forth. They are forgiving people for the most part. It's important for us, I think, that when we do something against our kids that we tell them, hey, you know what, I was wrong. Did you ever discipline your kid and realize that it wasn't them? Our typical answer is, well, you probably deserved it anyway. There's probably some point that you got by with it, so this is just taking care of that one moment. But what we should have said was, listen, Johnny, I spanked you the other day, and I realized that it was your sister that did it. I'm sorry. I'm not perfect like God is. I make mistakes. But your kids need to realize that you are not perfect and that you have to ask God for forgiveness sometimes as well. And that's why it's always important that you pray with your kids at night. Let them hear you talk to a higher power and ask that higher power for forgiveness for what you did that day. It's important that they hear it because to them you are God. To them you are on a, you're on a pretty high pedestal at a very small age. Everything you do is just absolutely perfect. And they, they need to realize that mom and dad isn't always perfect. We make mistakes too. But kids are very forgiving. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 13, we are told to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And so if we expect God to forgive us, we must be willing to forgive other people no matter what it is, no matter what they did to us. Whatever that person did to you, I'm sure it doesn't come close to what we did to Jesus or how they crucified Jesus or how they put him on the cross. And so we ought to be willing to forgive other people if we ever expect God to forgive us. Let's go back and read that. Colossians, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 13. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 13. <clears throat> Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also, what's those last two words? Must do. That's pretty strong, isn't it? If you want God to forgive you, you must forgive that person that did something against you. Well, I'll tell you what, sometimes our pride gets in the way. Sometimes our arrogance gets in the way. I'll never forgive that person for what they did. Oh, I pray that God never does that to me. I pray that I never sin so much that God says, nope, I'm done with you, Brent. Or I pray that I never sin such a great sin that God says, no, I can never forgive you for that. I pray that doesn't happen. We are to forgive other people the way God has forgiven us. Kids are innocent. Kids are trusting. Kids are forgiving. And kids are also teachable. Kids are teachable. Man, when they get to be that two or three-year-old age, they're just a huge sponge, aren't they? I mean, they can learn things so quick. They can rattle off the ABCs. They can say them frontwards and backwards. They can count to 100. They can tell you all your collars. Just think of all the stuff that kids learn from the age of 1 to 3 or so. It's unbelievable what they can learn. But do we ever teach them the Bible in that time period? Here's a video of a young boy that can quote 
uh, the books of the New Testament. He's four years old. Now, he did it in a unique way. This is the way I actually learned to say the New Testament books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts 2, Lesson to the Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus and Philemon, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First and Second and Third John, Jude and Revelation. All my exes live in Texas, and Texas is a place that I dearly love to be. But I. towards the end. But that four-year-old kid knew the 27 books of the New Testament. They are very teachable at that time. And so what are we doing to help them along in their spiritual process? Do we read them books about Jesus? Do they know the stories that we knew growing up about the Bible? I mean, Noah in the ark and Daniel in the lion's den and uh, Joseph's in the coat of many collars and, and all those stories that uh, that we need to teach our kids and our grandkids because they are so teachable. But we need to be teachable too, don't we? At the age of 52 or at the age of 92 or at the age of 102, we need to be teachable. We should never get to the point in which we say, I know that book 100%. Just ask me a question and I'll give you the right answer. We should never and we'll never get to that point. That's why I love to see stories and sometimes videos of maybe a 90-year-old person that finally graduated high school. You know, they had to quit school at sixth grade because maybe their mom or dad died, and they had to go out and they had to work back in the 30s. And so finally, when they get to this age, they are able to go to school and get their diploma or maybe go on to college and get a degree, and they're 90 years old. They'll never be able to use that, but they're teachable, aren't they? And that's, that's the way we ought to be. We always ought to be willing to learn something new. I love to learn something new. I love to hear uh, things that, that can benefit me in some way. And that's the way we ought to be spiritually. We always ought to be teachable. In Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 9, <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 9, Again, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, wrote this book, and this is what he said. He says, give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. A wise man will always want to know more. Tell me how that works. Us boys typically like to think, take things apart, don't we? If something's broke, we like to take it apart to see if we can fix it. That seems to be a boy thing. And we try to put it back together, and we got six parts left over, and it's worse then than what it was before. But we try to take things apart so that we can see how it works. How exactly does this box fan work? Or how exactly does this old engine work? Is there something wrong with it that I can fix it? That's the way we ought to be spiritual. We always ought to have that attitude that I want to know more. I need to know more. 
And Solomon says that you can give instruction to the wise man. He always wants to know more than what he did before. Philippians, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, I think is a good verse uh, that tells us more about us being able to be able to be taught. And not only that, but we also ought to be willing to share that with other people. What good is our knowledge if we do not share that with other people? If you know the Word of God from cover to cover, but you never share that with anybody, what good does that do? And so 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul talking to this young preacher, Timothy, he says this, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul says, listen, Timothy, I taught you things. Now what I want you to do is take what you learned and tell it to other people so that they can be able to teach other people. <clears throat> That's how the church keeps striving. That's how the church becomes, in a local community, 100, 125, 150 years old because there's always somebody that's teaching other people. And so it's so important that we do that, that we are, first of all, teachable, and that we take what we learn and teach it to others. Kids are innocent. Kids are trustworthy. Kids are forgiving. Kids are teachable. Kids are always happy for the most part. Kids are joyous. Do you ever like to watch kids? Just sit there and watch them goo and coo and laugh and all that stuff. Even at a very small age, they learn that. Jariah is about three months. He's starting to laugh. He's starting to giggle. And man, what a fun time uh, to watch kids at that age. So I got a little video of kids who are joyous. <laughs> four of them. I mean, it's no wonder he's doing all that. It's just crazy, right? One's bad enough, two might be able to handle, but four of them, I would be doing that too. The kids are always happy for the most part, aren't they? They laugh at the goofiest things. You can make the, the funniest face at them, and they'll sit there and laugh at you, and it's funny to them. The kids are always joyful. Kids are always happy. They laugh at our funny faces. They laugh at the toy that they shake, and it makes noise to them. Their laugh will usually make you laugh. I was kind of watching some of you as you was watching the video. You were smiling. It's funny to watch kids laugh, isn't it? And so we need to be more like them. Remember what Psalm chapter 17 says? A merry, let me read it to you. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit will dry up the bones. A merry heart will do good like medicine. 
They always say that a person who has a super attitude, a person that is happier, will heal quicker. They say that it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. And so if you ever want to do less exercise, just smile more often. And so whatever we need to do, we need to laugh. We need to laugh at ourselves. Did you ever do something really stupid before? Just laugh at it. Just say, that's just me being me. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. I'll probably do something dumb tomorrow too. So you just laugh at yourself. It's okay to do that. A merry heart does good like medicine. And then our last one this morning, kids are pure. Kids have a pure heart. Again, that idea that a kid says something negative about another child, it doesn't happen when they're small. We teach them that. We teach them that by them, them watching us, and we'll be in the car, and somebody will uh, not go fast enough when the turn, light turns green, and so we'll honk at them and yell at them. The kids are watching you. Remember, there's a country song. It's quite a bit old now, but uh, a man was talking about his kid that, that was in the back seat, um, and he has to hit the brakes all of a sudden, and his, uh, his orange drink spills out, and his fries go flying, and the kid says a cuss word. And the dad says, where did he get that from? And the chorus says, it was for me. Then the next, the next verse says, uh, dad uh, gets on his knees that night, and he prays, and the boy is there next to him praying. Where did he learn that from? He learned it from his dad. And so they are pure in heart. They don't hear the bad things until we tell it to them or people around us. And so kids are pure. They always think the best of people. Oh, to be like that again. But we can. We can be that way. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 8, the Beatitudes. Remember there's a Beatitude that talks about us being pure in heart. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 8. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We can be pure again. We can go back to being a child when we determine to live the way God wants us to live. But how can we become pure? That's a question we ought to ask ourselves today. How can I become pure again? I have been contaminated by the world. I have been contaminated by sin. How can I get back to being pure? I want to be pure. I want to do what God wants me to do. How can I do that? Well, 1 Peter chapter 1, as we close this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1 gives us the answer to that. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 22. Peter says this, Since you have been purified your souls through obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. How can you purify your soul? By being obedient to the truth. And so that's a decision that we have to make. Do I really want to be pure? Do I really want to live a life that is pleasing to God? Only you can truly answer that question. But Jesus tells us that we need to be more like children. We need to be innocent. We need to trust our Father. 
We need to be forgiving. We need to uh, be able to laugh and have a time of enjoyment. We need to be willing to have a pure heart. And we can have that again through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, that's where it starts. When Peter talked to the people there in Acts chapter 2 and he told them that they crucified Jesus, it was them that crucified Jesus. You are not innocent of this. And it says that they were pricked to the heart. They, they asked Peter, what shall we do? We know that we have sinned. We're, we don't have a pure heart any longer, but we want to get back to that. How can we do it? And Peter tells them in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can be pure again. You can be innocent again. And it starts at your baptism.